0: Hello, this is Gloria speaking, Mexican-American liaison at the Austin History Center. It is 2 2.20 p.m., Tuesday, September the 18th, 2012. Uh, I am interviewing Valerie Menard here at the Austin History Center in the Holt reception room. This interview is part of the Recovering the History of the Mexican-American Cultural Center Oral History Project. Valerie, uh, the first question I'm going to ask you is that do you give permission for me to record this interview on behalf of the Austin History Center for this project? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, First question I'm going to start off. uh, What is your full name? And for transcription purposes, can you spell it out also?
1: Valerie Monique Menard. Okay. It's V A L E R I E M O N I Q U E M E N A R D. Okay. Um,
0: when and where were you born?
1: Um, Glendale, California.
0: Glendale, California. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. In 1962.
1: Ah. Oh, all right. Uh, now. But three months later, we moved to Texas, so, so you basically raised in were San Antonio, a baby. Raised in San Antonio. So. Oh.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, can you give me a brief description of your family life? Example, the, uh, what was your father's and mother's name, and yeah. how many siblings did you have, educational background, that type of thing? Okay.
1: Um, well, my father was from Los Angeles. That's why I was born there. And uh, he met my mother when he was in the Air Force during the Korean War, and he was stationed at Lackland. And my mother was from San Antonio, so on my mom's side is Texas. Uh, uh, from, um, I'm second generation, so my grandparents are from Mexico, my, um, on my father's side from Sonora, and on my mother's side from Ma- Monterey, and, um, Menard is my great grandfather, who is French, oh, so, okay. but everyone else is from Mexico, and, um, so both of my parents, uh, were civil servants, my father worked at Kelly Air Force Base as an electrician, and my mother worked at Fort Sam. And, and so we you know grew up in San Antonio, of course would visit family in Los Angeles, still have family there. But um, we went to private school. My mother was very, she worked because she believed that we should have the best education. and um, So we went to Ursuline Academy, my three, me and my three sisters, there's three of us and I'm the youngest. And um, so we're we are not the first to go to college, but the first to... Um, get degrees to graduate. Uh, My sisters and I were the first generation in our family uh, to graduate from college. Um, And so I studied, I, I I came to Austin from San Antonio because I was looking for journalism. And they didn't really have, I could have gone to Trinity, but I couldn't afford Trinity. And so my other, my middle sister wanted to study zoology. So she basically got applications for UT and put them in front of me. We completed them. We applied for financial aid completed that. We were able to make the move to UT in 1982. So, so um, I pursued the journalism program and then added English, so I ended up with two degrees. And um, my first job was in, in journalism was with Kathy Vasquez-Rivia, so she is my mentor. Um, she had, I started working in, uh, with her paper in 1989, so, mm-hmm. so I've known Kathy for a long time. So she and I um, seen, have seen a lot of the political battles and was there definitely. I think the, the, the key event that happened was when Gus Garcia was elected to city council and he placed Kathy on the planning, the planning commission. commission. That was key because she identified monies that were set aside yeah. for cultural arts, for the Laguna Gloria ostensibly. Mm-hmm. And once she had pursued those monies, the rest of the city said, Well, wait a minute. You can't have those monies, but we can work something else out. So, that really got the dust, she really dusted off the Mac Project and got it
0: going yeah, again. Yeah. Um, um, at the, um, when you moved here to Austin, what part of the city did you live at?
1: I was near campus. I oh, was off second. of um, my sister and I, we had to, you know, walking distance. We had mm. a little apartment um, off of Noesis.
0: Okay. Uh, now, I know that you have authored uh, numerous books and as you stated, you have several degrees. Uh, can you give me a short career background to yourself? Sure
1: um, well, as I mentioned, my first job was was in journalism. I, I worked after graduation I worked. Um, One of the things I did to get through college was work-study. That's real important. I think students don't always get reminded of work-study, but that did help us instead of getting in in a lot of debt with student loans. Uh, So I was working in libraries. So um, I did that initially, and then my sister actually went on to get an MLS, and she's a librarian. But um, I was stuck where I did not want to have to go back to school to get an MLS to get a better paying job. So, I realized I had a journalism degree that I hadn't actually used. And so, when I was in school, um, one of the courses I had, feature writing, because I pursued magazine journalism instead of newspaper, and one of the courses, you would get an immediate A if you could get an article published, because it is important. Oh. Even as a freelance writer today, which is what I do, um, that's so important to be published. and so. The first article I wrote that was published was for Arriba, Arriba, uh, here in Austin, I worked with Romeo, and it was on Belle Folclorico. and I realized that the stories I preferred writing in class, the feature stories that I would write, were based on my culture and my community. So, once I was thinking about getting back into journalism, that's where I looked, and Romeo wasn't hiring, but I had seen La Prensa, and I just made a cold call to Kathy, and she was in this incubator off of Woodward. And I remember, I clearly remember the day I went to meet with her and I was out of work. I'd, I'd just gotten married and quit working um, at the university, so I wasn't employed. And so she, she basically hired me one day, or she, she allowed me to help her with paste up. I mean, we were pasting up my hand. It was a long <laughs> time ago. And um, that same day that I went for the first day to work with Kathy, uh, to help her. Um, I got a call that I was hired back to the university at the international office and that my grandmother in Los Angeles had died. So that oh, was a I very, guess. I remember, that, yeah, so I had to, you know, go to LA and, and for the funeral and then um, come back and kind of start, but I kept working with Kathy uh, on the side. And eventually she hired me, and she was partnered with Senator Barriatos, and he hired me. So they were kind of sharing the load. I worked with him for a while, half-time, and her for half-time, and then eventually moved over to work with her full-time. So that was a wonderful experience, because you do everything with the community paper. I was a photographer. I sold ads. I distributed paper. I was the editor. Did everything. And then, five years into that, Hispanic Magazine moved to Austin. And so here was a national Latino magazine coming to my backyard. So that was kind of kismet. And so I definitely pursued that and was hired by Alfredo Estrada. I worked for Hispanic magazine for five years as an editor. And then they moved to Miami. And at the same time, another moment, I was contacted by a literary agent in New York who had read my stories. And she had an idea for a book, a Latino holiday book, and she needed a writer. And so she asked if I'd be interested, and of course I was, so I wrote the, the proposal. She had a publisher waiting, so I was able to begin a freelance career with this book project. And then I've been doing that since I've been writing. I, I also focus on automotive, <laughs> so I'm <laughs> yeah, a car writer. So, yeah, so a lot that. of freelance writers tend to um, look at travel, because then you get to travel, you mm-hmm. write travel features. But automotive is a lot of fun, too, because you get to travel, you get cars to test every week. So it's been been a a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I saw that, and I thought, gee, this is really, because I think, what, a lot of your books that you've, you know, authored, written, uh, are children's books, or what it appeared to be children's books. That was one of my
1: clients initially. I did this uh, Mitchell Lane Books, and they do a lot of profile books for kids. And then um, my Latino holiday book was my own book that I do get royalties on. And then the second book I did for the same publisher was a relationship book for Latinas called Latinas in Love. And mm-hmm. and that was a, my, my, I used to have an advice column when I worked at Hispanic. And I felt that Latinas were kind of having a culture, an identity crisis, and whenever that happens, It affects our self-esteem I felt like these images and sex in the city and and you know trying to be more American and maybe in conflict with our old world Mm -hmm. lessons from our moms and our grandmothers were in conflict and so this book was really to tell Latinas that we don't need to make a decision we don't need to pick a side we just need to be who we are and then we'll be more confident, and more confidence brings better relationships.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I was impressed when I started to read that because that was the one thing that I thought, well, this is really, um, you know, uh, interesting because of your of your background mm-hmm. of your background. Um, okay, well, let's go ahead then, and let's get started to the heart of why we're here. And uh, the first question that I have is. When did you actually become involved in the creation of what was then, I guess, Simaka, but then became the Mac? So, on. when did you I've really? I've been
1: trying to remember; it is hazy. But right around—that's why I have this here—in '92, when that first bond election failed, I was still working with Kathy, so I remember when that happened. And um, and then, I think shortly after that, when she was placed on the planning commission. Bruce Todd, who was the mayor at the time, also, because I think the, the community did see that it was a devastating loss, Austin, you know, across cultures. So, so Bruce Todd decided to uh, appoint me to the Arts Commission, and instead of always the Latino city council member appointing the Latino, the African American, he said, no, I'm just going to appoint a Latino, it doesn't just no. have to be. So he appointed me to the Arts Commission around that time. And so I, that's when I got involved in the arts, the Latino arts community, um, looking at the arts funding. The city gets 1% of the bed tax to fund yeah. um, local artists. And so initially, immediately, I was looking at policy. I was trying to find ways rather than just increase the numbers, figure out a way within the system, within the policy, within the procedure to make the experience better for Latino artists and to give them the kind of seed money and support that would allow them to become institutions like the ballet symphony Mm -hmm. and opera, etc. So I did that for I want to say six years and we did make some changes And, and, and in fact the numbers that I compare from when I was on the Arts Commission to today in the arts funding process it's kind of unfortunate. I can show that we've actually lost money while the art bed taxes tripled. Latino artists are getting less than half of what we used to get, or half uh, of what we used to get, and yet we know the, art, the Latino arts community has, I mean not even arts community, population has has grown. So um, that got me involved in the arts community, and I got to meet Rowan and Tomas and other members of the Latino arts community, folks of La Peña, but you got to. So then, when I was getting off the arts commission, that's when I was appointed, or that's when I was invited by Kathy and Rowan to be on the Mac on the task force, and I think right around when the Simaka nonprofit
0: was forming is when I joined. It was what ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that. Nineteen ninety eight, possibly. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I think it is ninety eight. Yeah, you because know, we've been doing this chronological timeline, mm-hmm. and actually we're going back on this project. Um, from the late 60s because that's you know the arts been around for such a long time but that is the one thing is that I want to make sure that people understand when they go back and they listen to these interviews um, exactly the process Um, and I think we seem to uh, or uh, individuals sometimes will overlook that CIMACA was the actual starting point when they started to, right. you know, work towards getting it built. Right. Um, even though it was before then, when the idea of a cultural center. Right. But uh, actually, we were in the were, trenches. Yes, we, we were. Right. It was a
1: reality. The bond had passed, and then they, they needed a, a nonprofit. Initially, it was we were going to handle operation and maintenance, but but initially we came on board to be the liaison between the city and the community. So we um, were in charge of the charrettes, and we held the shreds with the architect and um, got input from the community as, as far as what they wanted in their in their MAC. So what you have is really has been vetted by the community. This is what ever the feedback we got from the artists and the community at large, and that's why there is a multi-purpose room as opposed to the cultural center in Dallas that does not. In Dallas they did not want any Cincinnatas, no community activities, just the arts they wanted to separate out. We are different because our community said we wanted a place to party, to to celebrate. That's why we have the world class kitchen. That those were things that were all that was all from input that we that we got from the community. And but I think the most significant thing that we did is 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 create the synergy that brought Theodoro Gonzalez de Leon to Austin, because um, when we were doing the plan, when we were doing our, our, our work as a liaison, we took a trip, and I don't know if Rowan and Kathy talked about that, to um, San Diego, to no, California. California. Not
0: really. Oh, really? No, I don't well, think that they got into the okay. in-depth of that
1: one. Well, that's the seed of, of what happened. Um, we had and again, I was still working for a Hispanic magazine, so I was in touch with other Latino groups across the country that would send me press releases that would contact me about events and cultural events. So, so I had that connection, uh, my, my fingertips on that pulse nationwide. And I'd gotten a press release from the Plaza La Raza, no,
0: yeah, I know what you're talking, in San Diego, was it? It's San Jose. San Jose, right, okay.
1: And is that the, is that the one in California? LA's Plaza La Raza, I forget which one, what it is in San Jose, but they were opening. And so I saw that, I took that to the CIMACA board and I said, we should do a reconnaissance tour, a tour of cultural centers in California because they're so vibrant. They've been doing this a lot longer than we have. Mm-hmm. And get some t- advice and tips and, and ideas for w- how we need to put ours together. So we did arrange a trip that started in San Jose at their opening, their grand opening. They had a mariachi festival, and again, uh, we met Laura Sparsa, was there, and she was working with them. I think it's the Plaza la Cultura.
0: I, and, I can't and remember. She sent me an email telling me, you know, her involvement there, and then oh moving here to, I could remember to what it Austin. Was. No.
1: But, no, because it's not Plaza Raza. I think it's Plaza... Anyway, we met with them. We went to uh, San Francisco and met with the... Um, not Mus- it's not Musella Barrio. But we, you know, we just went started in San Jose, San Francisco, then flew down to Los Angeles, Plaza La Raza, um, Self-Help Graphics. So it was a great tour. But when we met not only Laura, but also um, uh, Del Campo Maru, who were the architects for the plaza in San Jose um, and Pete Carrillo, They were alerted to the fact that we were in the process of yeah. beginning a project, and we knew as a board that we wanted the best. We knew that this had to be a beacon, and that began with the design. We we just were not going. We were just going to try to get the very best that we could get, um, and so that got them involved they you know applied to the city and be and and submitted a their proposal uh, the normal usual architects in Austin submitted theirs and they did appoint Rowan to the architectural uh, um, selection committee. so we only had one member of SUMACA on the, the selection committee, but the their proposal was so amazing. they really were serious and and to Rowan commented that the others either there was, uh, just the assumption that because they were local Austin architects and had always gotten the architectural, uh, especially for Latino projects, that they would get it anyway. That they were so somewhat, somewhat wired in. But this this was the best proposal, and and I think that's that's something that we're most proud of is the design. It's not finished. We have two more pyramids to build. If it were completed, I really think it would challenge the Sydney Opera House because it's those white buildings on the riverfront, beautiful. Um, so we still need to raise more money for that, um, but then we also were uh, important, uh, integral in the designation, the perpetuity for, in perpetuity of that site for the MAC because it was such valuable property. That is something that Gus Garcia did, but at our prodding and pushing and and uh, support for him to get that done. So those are two significant things that got that, got that the MAC
0: to where They're it is used. today. Now, let me ask you about, first of all, uh, now you've really got my brain going here. Um, First of all, who were some of the individuals that were on uh, in Samaka at the time that y'all were looking into all of this and so forth? Uh, Besides Rowan and Kathy, who were some of the other members uh, that that you can remember? I think
1: we had put Melvin Wren. Melvin Wren, we had placed him on the board. Uh, Jesus Angel G- G- Gomez, uh, he worked for the city, Angel Gomez, and then of course Tomas was the uh, staffer mm-hmm. at the time. He was a board member, but then because he wanted to be a staffer and be paid, um, he had to be, ta- um, he had to get off the board. But um, those are some of the people that I think were, were inst- integral. Gloria Andrus, Gloria Andrus um, also she's a banker for Frost Bank, mm-hmm. She, uh, those were. She came around later. Did she wasn't part of the initial? What happened later, and I'm not sure if Rowan talked about this, was was the conflict started with the city? And I think that selection of the architect, that was, that was not politic. Let's put it that way. The, the architect that was supposed to get it didn't, um, and we were taken. We were actually asked by a council member to change our support. So uh, it was a very political uh, move, but we, as I said, we wanted the best. So um, that's when conflict started, and the city started to resist and started to demand more and more from CMACA at our and, and basically depleted our funds, um, from paying a staffer when there was no building, to paying for this um, analysis. So we had only received, we had only raised like $150,000. So by the time um, the contract was ended, I think we had less than $20,000 left of that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, the city definitely started to, to push back. And so every time we were brought in to say, you know, you are given a challenge, we were told that the, the contract would be broken if we did not comply. And then that escalated to the point where the city was choosing our board members city was approving board members how does that happen with a nonprofit that's not supposed to happen we're supposed to be autonomous but it got to that point where it wrote Councilmember Alvarez and um, it, it was uh, that was it, and I do believe it it's based on that architectural choice
0: how many uh, different architectural companies submitted. I
1: think there These were songs. five. Five only? Mm-hmm. And, and Rowan was one vote. There were five other members, or I think four or five other members of the Architectural Selection Committee that were architects, city engineers, and staffers. And most of it were city staff. Mm-hmm. Rowan was the only civilian. And so they, it wasn't, yeah. uh, it was, it stood for, it stood on its own. The proposal stood on its own, and it wasn't a close vote. The vote wasn't close. It wasn't a 5-4 thing. So yeah. You see what I mean? There yeah. was they were the overwhelming choice. It, there was that, and then there were other issues that um, caused the conflict. But many people will say, "I think the city—I don't know if the—I don't know if the city always intended to manage this project and never really liked having a nonprofit. The city has not had a good relationship with nonprofits; it tends to take them over. So now what you have is a city-run facility, but." And so there are challenges there. As far as programming, the city doesn't understand how to pay for programming. They only pay for rental. They only know of it as a rental facility. They don't understand a cultural center. It's not the Dougherty. It is a cultural center, and it needs has a specific focus on the Latino community. That remains a challenge. But the city can pay for the light bill, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> more easily than a nonprofit could. It's, it's a challenge if we, had, if we had held on as the nonprofit in charge of operation and maintenance. It would have been a huge challenge for us, too hard to raise money yeah so true especially for the arts
0: when y'all went to California and talked to the you know people there and so forth and uh, all of that did they talk about any problems that they encountered in their process that y'all might have been able to gotten the well this is possibility that this will occur in Austin that's a good question and
1: and unfortunately it's it's um, a recurring theme of they're in fighting and battles and divide and conquer. That was a universal theme, and so it happened here. Yeah. It happened here too. But it, we weren't conquered in a way. I mean, just because Simaka lost the contract, we didn't die as a nonprofit. That's we true. stayed alive. Yeah. <clears throat> we never, we never lost our focus. We never took our focus off the mission, which was to support this building and process. And once that was passed and done. Although we're not and we're we're not finished, we still advocate for the two other phases, and, many, and that's what our website talks about. But we've also expanded our mission to support all Latino arts and, and arts organizations, and that's what our website is trying to do. And so we didn't die. The only thing that happened was that we lost our contract. But the MAC passed; it got built. The first phase, it's there. It's not going to move. Yeah. So that that's a beautiful location. Um, and, and we just need leadership now, is really what's lacking, at City Council to finish the site. I mean, you, you have Mechigarte on the bond, but the MAC is not on the bond. Mechigarte is a private nonprofit. The MAC is a city run for the, for the entire community. Yeah. See what I mean? So, so there, there's challenges there as far as leadership. Not that, you know, I'm happy for Mechigarte, but I'm just saying, as far as priority, City Council needs to look at this, because this is a city-run facility, and it's not finished. And I think there are ways that we could get it done. Yeah. So, so, so yes, the whole issue, the whole experience of in-fighting, back-fighting, and you know, community. Yes, that is was universal. And I think it happened in Dallas. And when I've talked to the folks in Dallas, what what got theirs completed was uh, finding an angel sponsor from the Latino community who put up a million dollars, and then City Council had to follow suit the cultural center in New Mexico, the, the uh, National Hispanic Cultural Center, that began at a federal level, from federal funds and then the state came in, or maybe the state funds, but you know what I'm saying, so there are different ways yeah. to get these things done, yeah. Yeah.
0: but um, the best news is that it got built. It got built. Right, yeah. right. Uh, now, uh, Tomás in his interview talked about how Simaca. Or the Center for Mexican American Cultural Arts, how that came about, because it originally it was going to be the Mexican American Cultural Center, is that what it was? But that was already taken by Sophia. It, 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 yes, and so then that, that the sort name. Of
1: but no, I think there was also a Mac in San Antonio. In San
0: Antonio, the Catholic uh, oh. having to do with the Catholic Church or okay. something there, was there another too. Mac. There was already that. Uh, but yes and so then CIMACA got you know that's how it was chosen Uh, now let's talk a little bit about how that was how y'all managed you had to because he also there's also in some of these interviews um, some of the uh, board members um, paid for their 501 c3 the the submission to the irs or you know uh, the nonprofit status out of their own pocket, and so forth. And I would assume that there was a lot of things that y'all were doing to, you know, uh, try to make sure that uh, uh, that that vision was realized. And so there was a lot of hard work. How did you, when problems were being encountered, how did y'all or how did you cope with it?
1: Well, I think that what happened is that you know it, all of that. Um, what is it? That, that the noise that that happened. I mean, we we our 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 meetings were were just a circus, and there were people brought in with banners and placards asking for resignation and and uh, charging me and Kathy and Rowan with with uh, inappropriate actually that it was all false and fake so what you had to do was just stay focused keep your eye on the prize and we knew that that we were you know honest and that we were true to the mission no matter what the rhetoric was saying or what you know the 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 rabble was saying so that kind of made us really bonded as a board and i think that's why we're still together today because it's still the same core folks that were most active—me, Kathy, Rowan, and Melvin—and we still have Gloria. She's less active, uh, but she hasn't resigned. <laughs> she could, <laughs> and um, and and so it's really—and then we added uh, Margarita de uh later—and and so th- we're the group that really meets and, and keeps it going. We've taken on some arts programming. Um, we, like I said, we built our website. We're, we're, we're still in the game, and now we've kind of come full circle. I think it was really <clears throat> important that um, the folks that took it over after CIMACA lost, lost the contract, to me, the hard work was done. The art architect was chosen, the site was preserved, the land was preserved, and so then it was just a matter of getting the process, the, the contracts, and, and the construction yeah. underway. Um, then it comes to the opening. And um, we were still so invested in this project. And, and uh, there's Laura back. So another kismet, another full, full circle. And, and uh, Kathy was sure that we would be ignored. And she cried about it. She was so sure that Simaka would not be at that opening. And I was going to go. I was not going to be pushed. I was going to be there to see the completion of our work. Absolutely. Um, but Laura got us on that on that podium and had us mentioned. And, and I'm not sure Kathy spoke, but uh, we were there, definitely. And that's really when, when Simaka kind of came full circle and... Um, we had continued to do our our arts sarape weaving project we do in the schools. We've brought it now back to the MAC. Uh, we had it at the MAC. We purchased a loom. Hopefully one day it'll be there, so there could be ongoing weaving classes. Uh, so we've never lost our connection. Um, but but that opening and putting us back in the program and having Laura there to help to help make that happen uh, that that's re-energized CIMACA. Yeah. and so
0: yeah. When was the um, – when exactly did y'all step down from being on the board or when all the of the? The contract?
1: I don't remember when the, the contract was dissolved. It's on our timeline on our website. Was it in 2002 or so? Could that have been? Maybe. Um, because in here, it's here where we had renegotiated. We were going to have our contract for 100 years or something, and then they, they they cut it down to 50 years, and they kept, you know, little, just, you know, p- t- tearing it apart, basically, the city, every time with the threat that if you don't agree to these terms, we'll, we'll end the contract, contract, which they ultimately did. So,
0: Which is one of the things, too, in regards to the lease, um, because there were several leases if i recall correctly in this but yes then there was that 50-year lease i believe and then also there was that was the resolution and then it became an ordinance i believe in order to be sure that that land that area right was part of the mac and stayed right part of the MAC.
1: that's the perpetuity yes
0: so can you discuss at that time period too because well I believe really, in the 80s there was discussion about the late 80s maybe discussion about uh, uh, fiesta gardens being where they wanted you know right. uh, the Mac to be and that didn't happen and of course then the land uh, being you know a good property where it should be built is what they were you know really trying to, to go with right. Uh, can you discuss any of what was going now, on? What at the I time? know
1: of that is, well, again, because I was working with Kathy, and I believe she was on the task force at the time with Emma Barrientos. I think what happened was when Kathy got on the Planning Commission, and um, she, or maybe, maybe I think it was the fuss, the, the reaction that we had to losing the bond. I don't know if it was in 92. Um, when Laguna Gloria had to deal with her, Um, That's when, um, I think there were more discussions about where to put it, and because she and Emma Barrientos were on the task force together, they were, they held firm, I think also um, Carlos Pineda, they were really the three key in this kind of the second phase of the MAC, of, of, you know, the task force that held firm to that site because they felt that they wanted it to be accessible. To everybody and many times cultural centers are tucked away in the community so was the one in San Jose, many of them are, but you don't get that traffic you don't get that access from you know tourists yeah. and other folks and they wanted it to be on, on right there by the on, the on the west side of the freeway
0: so that's what I remember about that discussion. Was there um, and during the uh, time that uh, when Y'all were coming up with um, a plan or the early vision of the center. Um, what, what were you thinking of as, as that, was bef- that would have been before y'all actually went to go look at, you know, what, uh, what the was the first your mock-up. Who
1: was the first architect that did a little, he did a mock-up of it? Do you, do you have his name?
0: Uh, well, the first one, uh, I don't, I've not seen it. And v- it was nice, but again, we, we were thinking big. Yeah, yeah. Because that would have been the one. I mean, it r- kind
1: of looks like Plaza Saltillo. Kind of is Spanish colonial. Right, right. With the you know tile roof and and you know, um, but we were thinking big. Yeah. they wanted something that uh, you know because Austin is just not known for its architect architecture. It really isn't the city. I don't think the skyline is not really pretty. Um, Now the capital is being blocked by all these ugly skyscrapers. I mean some of them look like Miami, so I mean, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Unlike maybe San Antonio, other cities that have a distinct skyline. Um, So we were thinking big. We were were thinking of um, the architect, he he just, the Mexican architect that had just done the the library in San Antonio, and he was very renowned. We were hoping to get him, and folks laughed at us and said, he'll never He'll never consider such a little project like this he ended up doing Dallas <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he did do the Dallas Cultural Center and we got the El and they were like the two leading Mexican uh, architects at the mm-hmm. time uh, mm-hmm. forget his name I'm sure Kathy or Rowan might have talked about him but anyway he, yeah he did the uh, year
0: now there Antonio. was uh, a gathering of individuals back in uh, April of 1998 uh, a chatella uh, were you because y'all were still part of Simaca at that time? Mm-hmm. Uh, did, were you, this is where they were talking about um, some well, of that the, was the um, beginning of CIMACA. Uh Some of the things that they wanted to make sure uh, that they considered in the building, uh, and then also they wanted to make sure uh, as to what the organizations that were going to be part of this, you know, of the MAC at the time. Uh, what they visioned it to be, like for instance, um, and of course, Magic Carte, but like Teatro Humedad, Rodney Garza uh, wanting, of course, the sound and light booths, the control room area, uh, dark room, and that type of thing, and the Aslan dance, you know, what they wanted. was there, uh, were you present at that particular? I don't know if I was at that particular meeting? one, but what I remember. How you? Oh, I'm now. just fine. I'm conducting an oral history interview. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> Okay, no problem.
1: Um, what I remember was that. I mean I, like I said we vetted this we we went to the community multiple times we had several charrettes we you know got input from the, exactly like that kind of mm. technical stuff uh, we relied on the arts community to tell us what would work for theater what would work for performance and then um what we also agreed on and something we did find out when we were in California was that no one organization would ever have ownership this was going to be open to all arts groups. It wasn't, we were not going to have one, any, any group of artists that were going to claim or even be on site initially because, you know, we wanted it to remain uh, autonomous. That it, that was important, that the Mac would be aut- autonomous and open to everybody and not controlled by just a few arts organizations.
0: Yeah. Well it seemed to, going by the list of what I saw here, it was quite a bit. Of different organizations and you know uh, probably most of, of
1: those aren't around anymore yeah. because the city we're arts just, funding has been so yeah. so um, so bad that's something that we advocate that's the kind of thing we do the culture like I mentioned the um, cultural contracts we've lost a lot of artists and, and, and participants in that process because we, we haven't been getting the funding
0: yeah and by the looking, money that is gone. And by looking the at that uh, also you know one of the things because I came here in 2008 and one of the things it's amazing now because since i've been here and i was just telling mike miller this this uh, this morning in my meeting with him is that since 2008 uh, i have used the facility in the majority of all my programs if it wasn't for the Mac, i wouldn't be able to do a program such as the one that we're going to do next week on the 26th Uh, and so that is the one thing but um, Basically, I remember it before they built that second part, that addition, mm-hmm. you know, the the new, the classrooms and so mm-hmm. forth. And when now that I look at it, because I was there uh, on Friday this past Friday, and now were that you that I at looked the at the art it, opening. Uh, no, I we were conducting the oral history interview with like. Oh, so oh, was the art
1: Oh, he was there. Yeah, I was at the art opening on uh, Friday. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, but no, I was looking at that, and that it you know, appears very small in comparison now with the addition so i can imagine what it really will be have you ever really gotten to really think about that and can you sort of talk about absolutely your that's why it's on
1: our site this isn't even it but if you go to our site you just imagine that that's the tiniest pyramid that's the littlest mm-hmm. one there's two bigger ones coming so can you imagine how gorgeous that one you could see it from the freeway coming in off 35 it would be a beacon, it's definitely going to be, I mean it already is, it's being utilized as a rental facility heavily, unfortunately the city doesn't let that money stay with the MAC for programming, it just goes into the general fund, you know, so that's the problem. So the the MAC is is, is, is making money because it is a very attractive site for, for usage, but it's not serving its purpose as far as arts. The, 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 the little 1B construction has that black box just because it was clear that performing artists had no place to go in the first phase because we have had to negotiate. We didn't want to have it done in phases, but what happened is you had 10.9 million bond, and as soon as that passed and we started planning, we realized we were $40 million short from a complete oh. cultural center the way everybody wanted it. And now I'm sure we're maybe 100,000 short by now. I don't know. But those two buildings, one would be a 300 seat theater for art, theater and dance groups. Because even though the black box conserves, it's very tiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's not a solution at all. So we still need that second theater, the middle pyramid, and actually it'll be on the other side. So it'll look like a gaping tooth right now if you don't do the two to two and the second and third uh, phase, the biggest uh, pyramid is like an 800 to 1200 seat theater, and that would be more like for touring acts to bring in, you know, Paul Rodriguez to bring in money making ventures. And that's when we were going to be managing it. That would have been the money maker was the big theater where you can have more people and touring acts, kind of like the PAC at UT stuff like that. That's
0: the, th- the the three. It would be beautiful if we could have that complete. Would be pretty amazing. If you had been able to keep in the direction that y'all were wanting to go, what would been your prediction as to when it would be totally complete in the actual building of the If
1: Simonka hadn't contain, maintained contained maintained its yeah, its its direction
0: uh, and contract? Uh-huh, contract?
1: If if we hadn't received the, the, the pushback from the city that we received and all of that mess that happened, if if it had gone smoothly, um We we would be raising money right now to to finish. We would definitely have been advocates. And and I think we could have done it because I'm, just through my work in the automotive industry, I'm more connected with the the corporate side. And even for our small little production, I've been able to get corporate support for the little things that we do. So, and, you know, the Alameda in San Antonio was built with AT&T and Ford. Bricks and mortar money—they don't do that anymore. But there are other companies that might do bricks and mortar that might want their name on a building. Um, So we have Emma's name, but there's still two more pyramids to build that could be named. There are ways of making this thing happen. There, there's a parking lot that everybody wants right now. Um, The the residential community wants it. The boating folks want our parking lot. Everybody wants it. Part of the phase three was this multi-level. Mm-hmm. parking garage, you could in that put you know some zoning where you could have retail in the bottom, make some more money. There's so much potential to get it completed but because we're out of the out of the process, the city cannot pr- pursue those kind of monies.
0: Yeah.
1: They can't fundraise, we can't.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's that If if the partnership had been maintained where maybe the city came in and paid paid for the light bill and we just focused on the money for programming which is what we were going to do, with the arts programming, which is another problem right now. Yeah. They're, it's getting used, but it's not being used by Latino artists. If Latino artists feel shut out of the MAC, um, we would have helped that. So now That's the, the th- best case scenario, I would
0: say. Uh, one of the things, Pesimaca, the Center for Mexican American Cultural Arts, then the MAC, the Mexican American Cultural Center. Yeah. So why were, why was arts taken out, do you know? Out of that, you know, where it was, like I said, CIMACA, there is cultural arts. You know,
1: that's a good question. I think that people were so in, I think people focus more on maintaining the Mexican-American part of it. I think mm-hmm. that was really important uh, because that reflects where we're at instead of the Latino cultural center or Hispanic cultural center, we're a Mexican-American cultural center. Not that we exclude, or it's meant to exclude any other Latino, Latino, but I think that that was important that in Texas, in this capital, that it'd be a Mexican-American cultural center. I think that's really where we focused. But you're right, the arts, there was, it was never part of it, so it wasn't mm-hmm. it was taken out. It wasn't, we just couldn't have the Mac initially, so we came up with a different name.
0: Because the ones that really were using it at the beginning, back in 1998, 97, so
1: forth. it was the, and the
0: support, city what is it, the, um, uh, well, it was, well, it was, yeah, the when I was yard the facility, the, truck, the, 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 yeah, the yard. The maintenance facility, right. it was a maintenance right. facility. Uh, when it was being used, it was being used for pastorella. 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 And then, also, it was, like, the, the, um, more but what, theatrical, or theater type, and so forth, but Were the artists was there actual artists using it at that time? It was entertainment music. It wasn't a thriving. It wasn't like
1: there was a little arts, you know, community thriving little arts enclave there. No, there were just users. There were renters, renters, and um, um. Yeah, they were really just renters. I think there was a books for convicts that was renting it. Uh, They were just friends of Tomás, basically. (laughs) That's Um. really who was using it. It wasn't like it was a vital little enclave of visual artists, and and, uh, I don't think. Now, you could ask Juan Ollarvides, who was actually on site with them, Mm -hmm. uh, and he could tell you actually what the kind of activity
0: that was going on there. Um, Now, let me ask you this. Um, When what were your actual feelings about being part of this, you know, vision and, and?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a legacy project. This is something that will outlive us. So I think we all felt that, and and also, the history behind it, the years of struggle, the the the, the you know, disappointments. And that now we finally were <clears throat> at, at the starting gate you know this just ready to, to move forward with it so we didn't we like I said we were thinking big we did not want to settle well many times Latinos are asked to settle mejor que nada. just you know at least it's something and right now that's what we have but it's better than something because it's beautiful right. but but it's not finished but at least the plan is is amazing and that's where CIMACA, that's where we're, we need to continue to get the word out. Many people don't understand or realize that there's more to come. A lot of people don't. I went to a Futura Fund. Mm. I don't know if you know the organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these are young, professional Latinos, and they had no idea that there were two more phases. So we need to get the word out. And, again, it goes to leadership. There's nobody at council that's saying we need to finish it. Perhaps we need to go to the county. Perhaps we need to do, like, the Cultural Center in New Mexico, make it a go start with Kirk Watson and see if you can help us. get it. We're the state capital. This thing should be finished.
0: Yeah. Well, that is what I have found to be very amazing and mm-hmm. why uh, the push for this project. We have
1: the Tejano Monument. Maybe we need to, to go to
0: the state. It took them only 10, what, 10, 11 years? Yeah. Of course, you know, some did ride horse. <laughs> came from Goliath riding a horse and trying to collect money that way. Um, but, um, you know, the, the the push for this project is that I find this history so fascinating. Of course, you know, we have said we're, we're going back from the late 60s, but that's when I think that the voices were found. The voices started to get louder and louder, and then right. the actual, when the idea, the task force, the boards, and all of that being formed and all. Uh, and then the election of the bonds and, and all, and then, you know, you have your highs and lows. And I, I I just, you know, I know that that had to have taken a lot of wear and tear on the individuals that were really, you know, uh, involved in this. And mm-hmm. I see that in, in uh, uh, Kathy's interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I listened to Rowan and of course you know he goes back to when he was a little boy and having been involved with what is Lincoln University and right. having They're that. they Austin
1: natives that's a big difference too. Yeah. yeah
0: but the one thing is that it, when it comes to something like that you've got you know where they were trying to get a building of their own something that represented their community represented Mexicanos Um, and so with all that that took place and finally when the opening when the building was you know the ribbon cutting and all of that what were you said you attended what was it what What? how did you feel that day just seeing that all these people and just thinking about Mm -hmm. my God, can I imagine what it will be like when they really have more events how did you feel
1: uh, I think, I remember how I felt before the opening even. Uh, the opening to me was a glorious day. It was such a celebration, and, and I was so happy that Kathy was able to, to be, you know, and she was so worried. But we were all recognized, and so it was such a celebration, and, and we did feel like we'd come full circle. But I just remember the first moment, I, the first day I saw the structure when it was done. And we went in for our first walkthrough. And I remember hugging hugging the wall and, get, and I think I even kissed the wall because I thought oh we did it yeah. <laughs> on the outside it was so beautiful and we thought wow this is it's, we couldn't believe that this this was actually had been realized that it was done that it was it was three-dimensional it wasn't just a concept anymore
0: so basically in a way it sounds like you were able to forget all that you what you had to go through and the fact that you know people were looking at you and saying, y'all need to step down. And you still, you let go of that past and still know that you were very much part of why it Absolutely. went up and why
1: well this Well, this is so important, and I think that's why there might have been a little resistance to this project because we've always been mindful that Simaka's role was being rewritten. And we knew the truth, and we knew the history, and we knew how integral we were because basically, yeah, we, we, got, we faced the fire. We went through that, that experience of every cultural center development that everybody in California told us, and it happened in, in Dallas, and it happens in San Antonio, that f- battle, that conflict that is always stirred, and, um, and we survived it. So so I think that's why we, cons- we, we felt this is so important to get the history correct. Um, on this project but yeah you're right as far as we weren't going to stop we weren't we were never defeated we just lost the contract but that did not just we didn't disband as an organization we kept up i've kept up our 501c3 and in fact we we just kind of recreated ourselves we broadened our mission we're like i said advocates for arts we we've you know we're looking at this issue of funding for latino arts in austin we're looking at our website to be a, a clearinghouse we're getting grants to Build that. We're collaborating with the MAC for the Los Muertos this year. We're bringing in vendors, arts artists to sell their wares, and then artists to perform. So again, we're trying to make this this cultural arts Latino arts synergy happen. We're not going anywhere. So, so yeah.
0: <laughs> and you've left it as center for Mexican American cultural arts. That's the way it's, the website is. Because that's is.
1: registered. That's yeah. where the IRS has us. Just you know, don't don't. Just better to leave. You know, leave it alone, and instead of going into the art of changing it. But you know, um.
0: for historical purposes, do you remember? You the can you give the link or what the uh, address is for? Yeah. Uh,
1: www.austinmac.com a u s t i n m a c c dot com.
0: Okay. All right. Um, now, what person or persons? Most influenced your idea about the Mac, about it. Is there
1: definitely Kathy?
0: Um,
1: it was. It was really. I, I would say that um, the ideas, the the most uh, the headiest conversations about what the Mac would be, were between me and Kathy and Rowan. I would say the three of us. And Melvin came in to help us deal with this conflict, because Melvin is from the African American community, similar story, because we're people of color and, you know, kind of fighting over crumbs, so that kind of generates the same kind of infighting. And when we brought him on the board, it was a rough time, we felt. Our, our meetings had been overtaken, all this arguing, all this protesting, all this ridiculousness. And we said, was, you know, we apologized to him, say, you know, we brought you in a bad time. He goes, "This is rough for you. You've never been to it. You know, for this is nothing for me. Don't worry about it." But he warned everyone. He said, "You're fighting the wrong battle. You take this away from Simaka, you'll never own it." And he was right, because now the city owns it. But hey, you know, we're just—it we, is what it is, yeah. and it's built, and so now we have to finish it.
0: Let me ask you this question because in listening to a, a lot of these interviews and I have listened to all of them mm, well, um, yeah. but in everyone basically a lot of them are saying the same thing that it needs to be out of the city you know hold and it needs to be on its own uh, if that was to happen, uh, do you think that that will ever happen? When no. first no no okay no no no
1: never the city will keep it forever I, I don't know if there's any precedent that it's ever been outsourced I don't know if a cultural center has ever been outsourced by the city you know they outsource a lot of things they do do that they do outsource you know electricity and other things but right. but it, but there has to be a business interest to say we'll take it over not a nonprofit. profit you know what I mean? Because yeah. we don't bring any money to the table right. to take it from the city. Now, so I feel like we just need to partner with the city. We need leadership at council. That's what's going to get it done. How many projects have city council members initiated and got it done? Whether or not there was money, they find a way to get it done. We are lacking that right now, unfortunately. I think single-member districts is will change everything. Whether or not that passes, I'm hoping it will. But... Um, that would be significant for Austin because for the first time you would have Latino representatives that are, gener- that are come from a community. You'd have more diversity in who runs for office because you don't have to pay for a citywide election. Um, those kind of things will be will be significant for the future, and maybe will help get the map completed once and for all. But we're still going to try to find an angel. We'll still keep looking out for that. Mm-hmm. Now, in your work,
0: why? did you work so hard to have the Mac created? I mean, because you, again, in what people, you know, uh, in listening to the interviews and from what I've read, now this is just a very small little stack mm-hmm. of articles, but what was it for you? I mean, you put in a lot of time, a lot of work, uh, you know, Everything that y'all had to go through, but for you, why? What was it that inspired you to keep going?
1: Well, I think it's that right is might. You know what I mean? Yeah. We I knew do. we were right. We knew we were on the right side of this. We didn't want this project corrupted. We didn't want this project downsized, downgraded. Um, we we were sure of this vision and that that this was worth the battle. You know, I guess we could have settled for something. Um, but, you know what I mean? I think that, that just kept us going, was that we knew we were right, and, and we knew the vision was right.
0: Now, because you're an author, a writer, a journalist, did you use that as a tool for yourself? Oh, yeah. You I mean, I mean, as far as the, the, the work we did, I mm-hmm. mean, I definitely, mm-hmm. a lot of the writing
1: and you know, and minutes or things like that, absolutely, I've been involved in So, especially now as, as president and, um, the executive director, everything. I'm kind of doing everything um, for the organization. You know, I do press releases and and I use. You know, I write grants for funding. So yeah.
0: Was there ever a time that y'all considered the future? And the future generation is what I'm referring to, and how they would perceive and use the Mac. Uh, and um, also what do you think now the direction that it is now what do you think the future is actually for you know future generations in the use of the of the facility i
1: think that the city i know the MAC staffers are well aware of the um, challenges and they're trying to be able to focus and have and, and, and rent the facility to users that are culturally relevant to the to the mission of the MAC of the building Uh, so we're moving in that direction and I know that when the few programs that we do CIMACA does when we have kids there they love it the the Sarapa weaving event that we do it's culturally relevant for the kids and and you wouldn't think that the idea of weaving and this big loom and that they would I would think they'd be bored but they're fascinated even after year after year we we were working with the same schools with Sanchez Zavala that they 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 hear the same speech but they love to get on that loom and start working and they would they would so children there's so much potential and, and they and there's so many ways to reach them with the arts. I think that people focus sometimes on sports, but the arts really elevate. The arts really charge your imagination, make you think bigger and beyond. So as far as the future, we've got to get that programming into the MAG. We've got to have our dance groups there. We've got to have our theater groups there, poetry readings there. It's just gotta be that kind of just constant activity. Uh, That would be a complete And successful project, I can't say that right now. We we're on the way, but we're definitely phase one. Definitely Mm -hmm. better than we were, but long way to go before it's a true success.
0: I always look at it in terms of you know a five year, a ten year, you know. Um, And I having been involved in, like I said, doing lots of programs. uh, I the reason why the title of this program on September the 26th, 600 River Street. is mm-hmm. because you hear of the Mexican-American Cultural Center, the MAC, but people don't know where it's located. And uh, It's which tucked is, away. Yeah, because it's tucked away. Now, here at the History Center, if somebody comes in and looking for information about their home or whatever, we have it filed under the address. So that's why I thought mm-hmm. six hundred River Street mm-hmm. is because, yeah um i I sort of wonder what if people don't know i mean the Austin has gotten so big in comparison to what it was back then when you know the idea was first uh formulated, and then it went on, but I sort of wonder what that future will be in another ten years or fifteen years um because you know I live in South Austin and I wonder will there ever be something like the mag or the carver built in South Austin because we're sort of you know we're sort of people are wanting to stay within the vicinity Mm. instead of coming downtown or you know Uh, and so well the hope will be that it'll be worth it to come downtown
1: yeah, <laughs> that's and, and that's what we're. I think that once it's completed, that's why we're we're not done. We're we're energized by, um, the challenge. So I think what's, what happens in Austin because we're both outsiders and you you have, I'm sure have experienced this that there's an, an you know local versus outsider mentality here, and so with the Mac, there's also a very strong focus on East Austin, which is getting horribly gentrified now but that was the traditional latino community but there are latinos all over town yeah. and that, and and i see a whole group of, i live in um by highland mall so yeah. that's the audience that is not being reached right these are folks like you all over town that don't have a reason or you know to go to the mac because there's no program and nothing's bringing you there it's that 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 hasn't happened yet that vitality has it hasn't reached that yet so if we do our job with Simaka and we get that Mac going, get more get more support for it, get more programming there, get it, get the second phase built, maybe that theater, you know, yeah, um, that would be great. That's what that's what our challenge is is to get the word out to the rest of the community. And so for a long time, Simaka was kind of underground. We went underground because um, there was so much rhetoric about out there about us. We're coming forward and we're, we're coming full circle and, I, and, I, and there definitely there's a receptive, people are more receptive to us than they were in the past. And we're partnering and you know, I work with Glasgow Madres, which is a great network. And um, we're hoping this Dia Los Muertos will go off very well, continue to work with the schools. But we, there definitely is a marketing challenge for the Mac, big time now.
0: Yeah. Um, when you were looking at the land, looking at the design, the architect, all of that. Was there ever a thought that Rainy Street, right there where the MAC is at, that what is now occurring, was there ever a all thought? All the, the that that restaurants and happen? all that stuff? Yeah.
1: I mean it was it was set aside as a historical neighborhood and I didn't think you could develop it and I thought that it was really difficult to develop a historical neighborhood. So I don't know how that has happened, how the zoning has changed there to allow all those restaurants, but it is allowing traffic. We are getting more traffic. And we did know we wanted to be close to the convention center. That was, that, that was important to us. We wanted to be accessible to those tourists mm-hmm. that were going to the convention center. The Four Seasons had us as their, one of their partner, their nonprofits, for a while. So it was important to be accessible to tourists. As well as the community, because we're just across the freeway from the community, from East Austin, Austin, you know. So, and it's still central downtown. So, um, so those those those, that was taken into consideration.
0: Okay. I mean, I feel sorry for the residents
1: there in rainy because I know they're probably their taxes are going up, and I'm sure it's going to be difficult. That was it's unfortunate.
0: Well, there are not that many more residents there. Is the thing you know? Um, There's not many. Fortunately. Uh, so that is the one thing. But I know that when I go down to the Mac, uh like I said, I was just there on Friday, uh, by two o'clock, you're not gonna be able to go down Rainy Street, because you got the beer trucks making their deliveries. And beer so trucks. you have to go down river if you're lucky because you got those trucks right there too, you know, making deliveries. Who did so say that
1: was City Council?
0: So it is very hard to get out of there and i usually will go down rainy and then turn on caesar you know turn on that side street and then go down to caesar chavez and keep going if i'm coming back to work and so i have to take the long way around because i mean you've got two trucks parked one oh, across horrible. the other so that's what makes it hard but of course that's at two o'clock and staff will be there and i guess they don't well, sorry for those people who live
1: there I, I would be so upset but that's know. that was a uh, city council did that and nobody went and fought it and so there you go that's that's but see that's a project that got done even though that you would think the odds would be against changing Mm -hmm. the zoning in a historical designation designated neighborhood so anyway well
0: let me ask you one more question because we've had a pretty good discussion I think but is there anything as we get ready to close up here is there anything else that you would like to add uh, to this interview whether it be about CIMACA, about MAC, about you know uh, the history that all of the cultural arts and everything is there anything that you would like um, those that will listen to this interview like them to know.
1: Well I think that the you know we talked about the recurring theme and 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 there is a shadow so always around this project of of you know negativism or people saying that you know Latinos we can't get along and that's why we don't advance. But I think that the opposite is true with this story. It absolutely shows that we're we dogged determination. <laughs> we'll get it done. It might take us a while, but we'll get it done. We we you know no one was really defeated in this process. So there was there's a beautiful result, a beautiful product. It's that it was done. Uh, it's not finished, but still. Um, so so I, I think it is a story of um, accomplishment, but also uh, it was, it's a victory, I think, for the Latino community and something we shouldn't diminish in any way, and, and we can, you know, build, build on it.
0: I see it, to me, for, that, for the building, as generating pride mm-hmm. uh, for the community. Uh, which is another thing, too, for, you know, with this project, is that I hope that as people listen to all of these interviews, um, they will have that sense of pride. Because it is something, it is much more than just a building. The building is made of concrete right? And so forth. <clears throat> it's the lives of individuals. You know, we, we're very passionate people um but at the same time it is you know so many people uh this particular project our goal was to interview 40 individuals it's the embodiment
1: of this history that's what the building is the building is is you know like the president is saying takes a community and absolutely Mm -hmm. that's what happened this is a reflection of the community and and people who have passed away that their efforts and all of that built all their efforts can continue the momentum it may not have been as fast as people like but it did continue the momentum and, and we never stopped so um, you know whether Kathy came in at the last moment and and from the first person who ever conceived of it or Lucha or whatever it's it's it was a continuous momentum and, and by virtue of a community that wouldn't rest until it yeah. was finished
0: yeah and now we can say that there is something that represents the mexican American community in Austin in right. Austin and so um, it, it was uh, uh, and no regrets right no regrets because at the end as you said the building it is there people that, know, would that, the that would have been the failure
1: that would have been the the absolutely the a totally different story wouldn't it
0: mm-hmm.
1: so so for this story there's a happy ending
0: well it's a writer <laughs> and an author yeah uh, I think, you know, one of the things that I always say is every project that I work on, I always hope somebody's going to take that material and will take that and Mm -hmm. do a book. And as I view the uh, interviews or listen to the interviews, I definitely see. Oh, yeah when we were involved in it you remember that book True Colors came mm-hmm. out about Clinton
1: administration mm-hmm. I thought "Oh, this is our true colors or whatever <laughs> and I could have done a like because all of the, the just just the machinations going on at the time but
0: um, it is a good story it is it's a definite good story and I also see the documentary I mm-hmm. see a documentary mm-hmm. um, just as an FYI as an author again as you um, there was a young woman who was a student at uh, Texas State and she had to write a uh, uh, sort of a, for her dissertation, A uh, she had to include in her writings a historical uh, part of a fiction book that she was writing and she went to the MAC and so the MAC is in her book and she describes it. I mean and she describes it going up those stairs, going towards the gallery. And you know the sound that the stairs when you're walking up make? She describes that. She describes going into the gallery. I mean, I have, it really, uh, it amazed me. Because somebody here, you know, has written, included the Mac in her book. In her book.